Let me pray, and then we'll look into God's word this morning. God, we believe in your Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe he's here this morning in ways we don't fully understand, but we believe it. We just said that's not what happened. And we believe that only by your Holy Spirit can we see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear from your word. So we do open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, open the ears of our heart. We want to be the kind of people you said we would be, and that's full of the life and power that comes from God's love. Okay, uh, two kinds of people. There's a website called Two Kinds of People. So here's the thing. Two, there's two kinds of people. Some of you eat the corn, like on the left, and some of you on the right. Some of the typewriters, some of the what they're called woodchucks. Woodchucks. All right, two kinds of people. Next one. I'm on the right. I have my present on the right. Some of you wrap them on the left. So you get that. There's two kinds. We all follow those groups. I won't ask you which group you're in. Two kinds of people. Eat the pizza, some leave the crust. My kids leave the crust, I eat the crust. Next one, two kinds of people. How many of you, I, I just this week I had my umbrella out and I put it in my car and I'm like, I can't do that, I have to strap it back up. So some of you are strap it up all the time, some of you just throw it wherever it goes. Two kinds of people. Some of you have, who has a watch on today? Okay. Some of us have watches, some of us use our phones. Two kinds of people, next one. Just seven or eight of these, go to the next one. Anybody here can solve a Rubik's cube? My son tries. Next up, two kinds of people. There are those who button their toes one way, and on the right is the way my wife prefers it all the way to the edges. If it's not all the way to the edges, it's wrong. All right, next one, there are two kinds of people. Those who use sunscreen and those who use aloe vera because they forgot to use sunscreen, right? Okay, two kinds of people. Um, have all your pictures on your computer, or you have it in a photo album. Right, two kinds of people. Uh, this, is, this is important. The over-rollers and the under-rollers. Um, I won't tell you which way is the right way, but my wife and I have actually agreed upon the right way. So, Next one. Two kinds of people. Those who obey traffic laws and those who I always tend to follow in traffic who always don't know what they're doing and they stall traffic by getting in the wrong lane and trying to do whatever. All right, two kinds of people. Those who use bookmarks and those who bend pages. Any, any page vendors here? I'm a page vendor. Good. My wife always tells me not to. It's a library book, but nobody knows. All right, two kinds of people. Uh, those who get exact gallons and those who get exact dollars and some who just kind of do whatever. All right. All right. So we all know, we all know that a lot of life, there's two different kinds of people. There's something to do this, something to do that, and there's some preferential and stuff like that. Next one I just made up my own. Two kinds of people in the church, right? And I'll explain what these means. There's one kind. This gets into what we're going to talk about today. There are some people who think Christianity is like a dot. You make a decision. You've got your ticket. You're in. And then there's those. And I, this is a biblical desire. You not only understand salvation starts at a decisive point. But it's the decisive point in which there needs to be and necessarily has to be movement. And that this may not be a clean category of either or. We've probably been in both those situations. Sometimes we just feel like we're standing still. But sometimes we know there's a move forward kind of mentality. And the author of the Hebrews, more like today, kind of depressing that. That there's two kinds of people in the church. He's not even talking about those outside the church at this point. And, but there are some who think Christianity is simply, I believe, I trust Jesus, he died for my sins, period. 
Now I'll just make life work for me and hold on to my ticket until I die. But that's not the biblical teaching. But then there's the how do we understand that we have this gift of salvation we're supposed to move forward? What does that look like? So we've been doing a series in the book of Hebrews, and I've been calling it Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus at Fortune. And uh, the book of Hebrews was written in probably about 64 or 55 AD uh, to a group of Christians who were struggling. And one of the things over and over the next slide here, the author keeps saying is Jesus is greater. This is my greater than sign for you mathematics uh, people who don't understand math. I'm afraid of that. He, over and over, Jesus is greater, probably over a dozen times before Jesus is greater, superior. And what we've said, what I've, uh, what I've talked about is, you know, he talks about Jesus is greater than Moses, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than Aaron. And by extension, we've also added things like he answers the questions of life greater than philosophy, politics, science. He answers the big questions of life better than Buddha, Muhammad, or Joseph Smith. And, and he, the author keeps reminding these people, Jesus is greater. He's superior. He's not just one of others. He stands above. And then one of the things that since these believers were going through and about to go through persecution, they've already been experiencing persecution, and they were tempted to kind of fall back into what I would just call normal American religious life. They weren't American, you know what I mean? Just be good people, go to church. Don't expect anything more of that hold on your heaven's ticket. But then one of the things that we've talked about the last couple weeks is how do we come to the point where we understand that Jesus, my pursuit of Jesus has to be greater than my pursuit of comfort, greater than my pursuit of money, greater than my pursuit of relationships, as good as those might be, and for that matter, greater than my pursuit of sex. All those things are good things, but if we pursue those greater than Jesus, then it becomes a really dangerous thing for a spiritual. So Jesus is greater than those things. And how do we how do we understand and live our lives in that reality? It's, it can look like a static mathematical equation, so to speak. But how do I live my life where my daily choices are saying, I believe Jesus is greater than those things? So today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 6. And so uh, I'll just read. It's going to happen on the screen. I'll read it and I'll stop a few times. And then we'll talk about a few things about this. So let's just go into it. So chapter 6, again, this whole idea of Jesus is greater, and he's talking about kind of two different categories of people. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, playing on hands, resurrection of the dead, or eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will, read that yellow with me, move forward. To further understanding. All right, next one. For it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who experienced the good things of heaven and shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. And you then turn away from God. Let me stop here for a second because this is the passage. You all know people, I know people, who once were seemingly vibrant in their Christian lives by whatever external things you were judging. And now they're not. I, I'm guessing we all know people like that. And this is one of these passages we wrestle with, like, what, what's up with them? You know, it says it's impossible to bring back. Now, it's not that it's impossible of God, but the author is saying this is a, this is a dangerous place to be. Um, but there are people, you know and I know, who 
one time they would they would fit right in with any of your small groups or church experiences. And now they're far from that. And you and you left with asking, well, were they ever really a Christian? Or were they one and they lost their salvation? All different these different theologies. But we all can agree, wherever they are now, it's not a good place. And some something started that decline to that. So talks about that as they turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. So apparently these Hebrews in, in Rome knew people like that. And it's a little bit of a warning. It's not a threat. It's a warning. Be aware that if you're not moving forward, if you just have this static understanding of Christianity, then falling backwards is a real temptation, a real possibility. Again, it's not a threat. It's a healthy exhortation. Okay, go on. When the ground sows up the falling rain and bears a good crop to the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if the field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. And I'm sure all these Christians would have been able to refer back to they knew the parables of Jesus when they talk about the good soil and some that took seed and took root and then all of a sudden it bloomed and grew fruit. Other times it took root, but it was choked out by thorns. So he's talking about this, there's these two categories of people. All right, go on. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. So he's saying, you know, we don't we don't think you're one of these kind of people who are gonna get, who are having their faith choked out, who've rejected and walked away from God. But he's still telling us that, and the reason he's telling us this. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things to come with salvation. For God's not unjust, and not forget how hard you have worked for him. And he has shown your love for him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. All right, and that's Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. So apparently, there's a real possibility of that happening with any of us. Because of whether it's apathy or whatever spiritually speaking, my guess is we've all been close to those places before, so it's not like we're judging, but then we understand that. To fall into spiritually dull and indifferent. Um, dull in the Greek means, but it's English. Dull. Kind of dim-witted. But not in a condescending way. It's just you're not, you're not receptive to the things of God. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. So now, go to the next slide. We're actually going back to that. So on the, there's two kinds of people, the author is saying. There's those who kind of are, are living in the basic teachings. They've got the rudiments of Christianity down. And they're, they're not moving forward because they're stuck in thorns and thistles. The thorns and thistles, when Jesus talked about that in his parable, was kind of like the worries, the cares of life, anxieties, and what about this problem and money. It's, it's these things, comfort, money, friends. Those pursuits become the thorns and thistles that keep us pursuing Jesus. Because either Jesus isn't giving us those in the right timeline, so we'll get it on our own, or we just don't think Jesus even thinks about that for us. So we think we've got to go after those things, and Jesus becomes secondary. So, and then he says, and they're dull and indifferent. So, that's a real possibility. And there's, if, if you choose not to be active and moving forward in your relationship with Jesus, the real possibility you'll just be one of these, what well, I'll just call a ticket holder to heaven. Now, whether the ticket's valid, I, that's not mine to decide, it's God to decide. But that's what we sometimes 
seen in the company is bad. But then he talks about the other category of people that moving forward produces a good crop. There's fruit in your life, in your relationships, and your life is marked by faith and endurance. So I suppose the question of the morning is, how do we make sure
Well, what the writer did was he gave us Abraham as an example in this chapter. So, uh, what's the next? Go to the next slide here. No, go go back. I'm sorry. Go back. Go back to the yes. He used the life of Abraham. So what was the evidence of Abraham moving forward? I'm going to give you three things. It's on the screen. There's three things. Kind of major your own life. Right? Abraham left home. He left what was comfortable. Is there anything God's been asking you to do that is asking you to leave something comfortable behind? That's a move forward. He doesn't always ask us to do those, but that's a common way that God, that's a common mark of faith and a common thing that assess your faith by. He had to ask to leave comfort. What we say to actually stretch it out Second thing Abraham did was he was listening to God's voice. So then another way to assess whether you're moving forward is the question you've asked a lot lately is what's God been saying to you lately and what are you doing? Uh, that would be some way to help you assess am I moving forward? If I left, has God asked me to stretch it on comfort, but now is there anything he's saying to me? Am I doing it? The third thing is, was true of Abraham, which is the hardest thing to true of Abraham. He was prepared to sacrifice all. He was ready to sacrifice his own son, who was the who was the very core of the promise back then. So has God been asking you to sacrifice anything? And how this how will work off? And I, it's not that God's always looking to ask you to sacrifice, but it seems like a common theme in every man and woman in the Bible and throughout history who followed Jesus. Was there was a net need for a willingness, a willingness to sacrifice everything or something. I've been reading a book lately about a lot of great kind of Catholic saints throughout history, and every one of their lives was marked by something God asked them to sacrifice. And that's true of ordinary people, not just Catholic saints throughout history, but ordinary people around the world today. So leaving home, following God's voice, being for to sacrifice. Those this, those are markers where you can measure, are you moving forward? And the next question I'll ask is, what holds you back? I, I was thinking about this in my own life. I thought, okay, I, if, I were to be, if I were to be honest right now, my moving forward motion isn't as high as I, as I know it had been in my life. And I thought, and I've been asking myself, okay, God, what? Do you mind from a from a wall kind of the answer is apathy, lethargy. Sometimes I suppose God's doing this, but I don't know. Is it fear? Is it fear that if you do open a step forward, God may ask you to sacrifice something you don't want to sacrifice? Is financial security your ultimate hope? And what if He asks you to sacrifice that? Are you going to say this? You know? Are you going to say this? I mean, what's he, what's he asking you to sacrifice? And I would guess a lot of our what holds us back would be answered in somehow in these categories of related categories. What holds back? What holds me back? The last question I'll ask this morning is this. Um, what's the anchor of your hope for? That may be another good question because what the writer of Hebrews said in the very last part of the chapter is we have this sure anchor in Jesus. Now, while we let's talk about current events here, no matter how or if you voted in the election, you're reacting to 
the election may show some degree of where you're anchoring your hope. But if you were overly elated because of who won, or overly in despair because of who have lost in this election or any election, that may be some marker you use of your hope is misplaced. Or if your emotional mood becomes elated when your team wins, or when your team loses, you're in despair, maybe there's something about your hope for joy is tagged onto something. It's not bad to be glad when your team wins, or be glad when your candidate wins, or be glad when whatever, when you get more money from something than you thought or whatever. But how you react to those things will be some kind of indicator to you of where you're placing your hope. And I think a lot of a lot of our reaction to the election, either side of the point, comes from my what I think the author people would call called misplaced hope. Because our hope for peace and joy and our hope for taking care of the poor, all those things are anchored in Jesus. Jesus hope to do those things. Government doesn't do those things for us. No government in the world does those things for us. If the church did what the church told us to do, we wouldn't need a government. So ask yourself, where are you anchoring your hope? And how are you reacting to disappointments? How are you reacting to successes? Those, it's not bad to have those reactions, but if it's an overreaction, you kind of know what I mean by that, aren't you? That tell you your hope for your own peace and joy and just the anchor of your life, is it? Are you, do you believe but I don't mean Jesus like Jesus is the right answer. I mean, you believe that you really can do things in your life to bring you to peace and joy, regardless of what happens in sports or politics or whatever. Because that's the hope of Jesus. And if we believe that, if we believe Jesus really is greater than those things, then we should not be, as the Bible often says, we should not be shaken. Even if the mountains fall into the sea, the Bible says, we shouldn't be shaken. So what shakes you lately, maybe is another good question to add to this one. What's the anger and what shakes you lately? And whatever shakes you probably indicates